Today on Writers Get Animated, we're talking about an anime feature film that influenced the style of dozens of movies since. No, not Akira. Today we're talking Spirited Away. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation. And on this episode, Spirited Away, I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell, active critic of Spirited Away. Oh, goodness. Now, Spirited Away is celebrating its 15th anniversary, which is why we're talking about it now. Um, we're revisiting this. I think it's been about eight years since I've watched Spirited Away. Hi, my name is Chris. It's been eight years since my last viewing of Spirited Away. Now, now it's You're actually much been like I am. two nights. But um, yeah, <laughs> what was uh, your la last experience with Spirited Away? How long has it been for you? I actually saw it 15 years ago in theaters. And then you saw it again recently. Yes, I saw it last night um, before recording this because I realized you can't buy a digital copy of this. And I had to run and buy a physical copy. Yeah, you can't buy a digital copy. That, that would yeah. be nice to be able to do it. Um, we should get on Disney to do that because Disney is the distributor of Spirited Away. Well, I think they don't have the merchandising rights, so they don't. They might have something to do with the DVD rights also. It, or I guess it might. They, they did, yeah. Um, so, but but um, I think that's also a hindrance to new audiences finding this in our new technological era. I would agree with that. You can't get a digital copy. Yeah. So for all of our new kids listening, here's your intro. You have to go find a disc to put in a machine to play the film for you. If you have a machine that plays it. If you have a machine that plays it. You may be able to put it into your Xbox or your PlayStation. Are we on four now? Yeah. So you may be able to put it into one of those devices and they may be able to play this film for you. No other way. I'm just making myself sound really old all of a sudden. I feel really bad. You are. About how old I'm making myself sound. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Spirit Away. 15th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Spirited Away. It is a film, a feature-length film from Hayao Miyazaki. A two-hour long film. Originally going to be three or four. Um, and then he pared it down, thankfully. Yeah. Um, it was getting much too complicated. So what, what's interesting about Spirited Away, and we'll get into theme and some other things about Spirited Away, but um, this was distributed by Disney. Disney had distribution deal with um, Studio Ghibli to be able to release their films on DVD and now Blu-ray and also release them to theaters with having control over the translation and the dubbing of yeah. it. Something I find interesting is they also had a 10% stake in funding this movie, I believe, so they, they could have first, first refusal right if they didn't want to distribute it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the influence of one John Lasseter. Mm -hmm. um, because John Lasseter has on many, many occasions listed Miyazaki as one of his main influences for storytelling, for art, um, as an inspiration. 
and John Lasseter has always been a champion of the work of Miyazaki and bringing it into American audiences. And what's interesting about Spirited Away is it's one of, I don't want to, it's not nearly the first Japanese film I've seen, but it's the first one that I saw as maybe a fully functioning adult in some ways mm. where I could experience it on a different level. Um, Spirited Away is not my favorite Miyazaki film. My favorite Miyazaki film is Howl's Moving Castle. Mm, good choice. Which uh, I thought was brilliant. Um, I remember seeing that with like 20 people in a theater. <laughs> just like being really moved by it and just impressed by the artwork of it. But Spirited Away started as a story based on a young girl that he knew, a 10-year-old girl who's the daughter of a friend and they who would often visit at, at his house. And he decided to see her, at a normal 10-year-old girl who's a little aloof and unsociable, and now she's the lead character in this film. And he had a way of um, adding in people from his life into the film. So the father in the film is the father of the daughter. The mother is someone who works at the studio. So he's, and he was pulling behaviors, mannerisms, different things from these people to, which is why the characters get grounded and feel um, idiosyncratic. They feel very unique in their own way. Yeah. And I think that having the aloof female lead is a very, at least at the time, a very bold choice. And I think we have more variety in our types of leads and now, but I think it was very different for the time when this movie was made. It certainly was. And it was not, um, it was not very common to have a lead female and have it to be a young girl be the person to lead through. Um, I think it's interesting, though, in the the English dub was done by, uh, she was played by DeVay Chase, who played Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. Oh, yeah. So we get a little bit of that same, they're pulling some of that heart, maybe just a little bit, um, what's that word that I'm looking for? subconsciously giving her a little bit of that spirit by choosing that actress to per perform the voice. So there's some interesting things that they did, especially in the translation. And I won't go, this is the one thing I'll say about it and we'll get back to the main story. But one thing that Disney did about the translation was they were also making sure that the translation while being accurate towards the feelings and the actual words also fit the mouth patterns that the characters were making. So it was really, yes. it was really important that if a character is speaking, we match with their mouths moving. And if the mouth stops, the line has to stop. And if their mouth is moving slow, they can't have a line that's ah, da, 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 a really long phrase if the mouth isn't moving that much. So they had to do a little bit of 
fine-tuning the language to make it fit the mouth, but also make it fit the actual truth of the language and make the translation accurate. And I learned that. I think that's really interesting. It says a lot about this movie. I actually want to go back and rewatch it, uh, not dubbed, and see how similar lines are. Because I think you're very limited with what you can say when you have a a constriction like that. But yeah. nowadays, like you have um, um, a movie that I'm excited for, but probably will not be very memorable as much as I'm excited for it is Rock Dog, which is coming out. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for this. I have not yet. seen the trailer for Rock Dog. I think Wait. it's originally. Wait, no, no, no. I totally have. Yeah, it's got Eddie Izzard as like You're, the Asian yes, rock yes, star cat. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's coming back. I think I repressed it and something unlocked and it came back. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look spectacular, but I'm really excited for it. It looks like something that I would love. That's very um, kind. A, That's a very yeah. kind way of putting that. It doesn't look spectacular. Yes. Yeah, but it's, it's originally a Chinese movie. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to come out this year, but it was delayed because they got investment that they can. They're going back and re-editing all the animation that the mouth movements fit the English dub. Hmm. So it's kind of the opposite approach of writing the dialogue to fit the mouth movements or fitting the mouth movements to the dub. Yeah, that's a little interesting. Yeah. But in Spirited Away, we get the story of Chihiro, a young girl who's moving to a new town. So it's basically inside out at this point. It is. It is inside out. (laughs) She's she's moving to a new town. She hates her life. She's in the back seat of a car without her seatbelt on. I was very troubled by this, um, especially the way her father drove. Um, It could have been a world according to Garp type situation where the child's not in a seatbelt and then they crash and goes through the windshield and dies. Um, spoilers for the world according to Garp novel and film. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> sorry that that was a weird tangent to go on for a moment. But so she's moving to a new town with her parents, and in their travels, the father gets lost, um, and they end up in this. <laughs> back road and he's going way too fast for any car should be going on uh, this drive through the woods and they end up going through and finding this old city which the father says is a theme park and they assume that it's a theme park Um, but they go through and they find a restaurant and food and it they this place at night suddenly comes awake with Spirits, and it turns out that this place is a link between essentially two parallel dimensions, a spirit world and our world. And the girl finds herself trapped in the spirit world and her parents turned into pigs. And mm-hmm. then how she is able to try to get her parents to turn back into humans, but also simply just survive in this spirit world. And with all the rules that the spirit world has, which are all very, very shaky, um, but they have their rules and her just trying to make her, her life in the spirit world while trying to save her parents as well. That's a very 
simple explanation of the plot because it, it is a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, and I think it's hard to explain because one of my um, biggest barriers for me loving this movie, I think, is that there's not like one main through line for it. I think like, yes, Chihiro's trying to get home and save her parents, but she doesn't really actively pursue that for a lot of the middle of the movie. You're right. She doesn't. She's becomes okay with, she becomes a worker at a bathhouse for the spirits. And she kind of resorts herself to that life for a little bit. And, yeah. and hanging out with the boy Haku, who's also a dragon. Mm-hmm. Like you um, do. Like you do. Um, but it's, I was trying to, and watching it again, I remember being really impressed with it because of the detail of the animation. But every time, every time I watch it, I have the feeling of this time I'm going to crack it. Like this (laughs) time I will figure this movie out and I go into watching it with, I believe that this time I'm finally ready to unlock what's happening in Spirited Away. There's there's a lot to unpack. Like I think it's ultimately the story of Jahiro becoming this kind of indignant, spoiled little girl into becoming this more uh, obedient adult young person. Mm-hmm which is a very sad arc to have off the top of your head, but that's, uh, that's something that's in arc. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also her being respectful of different worlds, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's, she's learning respect. She's learning perseverance. She's learning personal responsibility. I mean, there are a lot I mean, there are a lot of themes in there that don't quite finish. They all rise to the surface and then they sink back down again. But but I do think that's intentional. Like, And I don't think that's like a, oh, they just didn't know what they were doing or where the story was going. I think that's also intentional that it is so complex. Like one of the notes I wrote down watching this film is most adults are monsters. Because mm-hmm. her parents turn into the pig monsters, and most of the other adults in this movie are monsters of some kind, except for Lynn, who they never really talk about if she's human or not, but she's decidedly looks human, unlike all the other bathhouse workers, and has no special powers. I don't believe that Lynn is a human. So, Chihiro, in coming to the spirit world, coming to this bathhouse, in order to stay safe, she asks for a job. At this bathhouse. And the head of the bathhouse is a witch, Yubaba, whose name means bathhouse witch, which is kind of nice. Like you do. Like you do. It's, it's nice to have a name of, it's like, if my parents would have named me, like, rich man, you know, that would have been <laughs> nice. <laughs> then you could sing that uh, Gwen Stefani song all the time. Yeah. Rich man, successful person, Leva. Like that would that would have been nice to have that name. <laughs> that way, in life, I would have known, and other people would have known what I should do. You know. What does your name mean? Uh, Christ Walker. 
or like Christ bearer, really, is what Christopher means. Maybe that is what you're supposed to do. I'm supposed to bear Christ. Yes. Arr, like not, like the revenant. Not, not like a bear. Not like a bear Christ. Bear um, Christ. Sorry. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Move, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I, I think we're done exploring that, um, okay. which we shouldn't have in the first place. Uh, but names are very important in this world, is what I was going to get to. Um, Chihiro, her name can loosely be translated, her first and last name, Chihiro Ogino, can be loosely translated as a thousand searches. Like that's what her name means a thousand searches. And in the film, she goes with Yubaba, and she signs a contract that gives her a job in the bathhouse and has to, her name is taken away as part of the contract, and she's mm-hmm. simply called Sen, which just means a thousand. So her searching, in a sense, is removed from her. So now, I think- go ahead. Oh, this is very parallel to, um, it reminded me a lot of the Wizard of Earthsea books by Ursula K. Le Guin. Have you read those? I have not. Okay, there's a couple reasons I think it is related. In the that fantasy novel series, which is from the 70s and ongoing, I'm not really clear on the timeline of that, but um, it's a fantasy novel where they're also everyone has a secret name and the wizards get their power from their names and not supposed to share it with other people. If you share your name, it's taken away, then other people have power over you. And I think that is related to this movie because one of Studio Ghibli's later movies by Miyazaki's son is Tales of Earthsea, where they adapt A Wizard of Earthsea into an anime film. Mm. So I think there is a connection there with the theme of the the names. and The name having the power. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of it. Like, now you are this person. This is your Mm -hmm. identity now. And she's yeah. sent down to the boiler room and taken under the wing of Lynn, um, who is voiced by Susan Egan, who played Megara in Hercules, which means she's lovable and sarcastic at the same time. The only voice in the history of animation, I feel, who can properly convey how lovable a smartass can be. <laughs> Megara is my spirit animal. I just had this realization, a lovable smartass. Maybe that's why I like Hercules so much. There's something about Megara that's like somebody who understands me. I mean, I am instinctively compelled to be your backup gospel course and shout, Honey, you mean Huncules! (laughs) (laughs) So uh, drawing on royalty from Disney to voice these characters... So Megara, Lilo, we also have David Augenstyers, who played Cogsworth as, mm-hmm. um, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name, um, down in the boiler room. Yeah, the boiler, Kuchiro, the boiler master. Whose name means like boiler worker, essentially, is, is what his name means. But she's taken under the wing of Lynn, and Lynn does say, oh gosh, a human. So that was a long way of getting to the point of saying, I don't think that she's human, but also filling in what's going on in the story. Mm -hmm. 
I think Lin is an interesting character because everyone else, almost everyone else in this movie has like this two formed dual identity. It's very carnival. If we're going English major on this. Okay. Um, because their parents are also pig monsters. Yubaba is also Zenobi. Um, Haku is also a dragon. Uh, the boiler room guy is also like the little soot dust fairies that go around and the baby and the bird are also the mouse and the little tiny bird. Like everyone else is like a two formed identity. Even Chihiro herself is Chihiro and Sen and she's different clothes for each identity. That's right. And we also have no face. Yes. No face who is two formed, but also nobody. Uh, so you have a lot of, I think the movie's complex because it's intentionally complex saying that adulthood is not as simple. It's not as black and white. Like there are people who are different things at different times and they can be both good and bad for you. Right. It's not certain if Chihiro either sees through this or confuses this because she calls you Baba granny after Zenobi asks her to call her granny. Right. And I don't know if that was a translation thing, if that's really in there or, or what? Yeah. I will probably go back and rewatch this with subtitles <laughs> um, just to when, find out when we're talking about one thing that we want to talk about is progress or not progress, but process with a C um, spirit away originally started its production uh, without a script. And uh, most of all of Miyazaki's things share this same thing of being very organic way of creating the work. Um, here's a quote from Miyazaki in an interview. He says, quote, I don't have the story finished and ready when we start work on a film. I usually don't have the time. We never know where the story will go, but we just keep working on the film as it develops, end quote. Which I think shows a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that I did notice is a lot of the things that are rules of the world. So the way things operate or what needs to be done or how things need to be fixed, a character expressly says it. So it's not something that's shown in an example. A character says, oh, you must do this because of this and then this. And so it's told in dialogue so exposition in this is here, you must eat this or you will disappear and then you will be able to do this. And if you ask this, you'll be able to stay here and do this or hold your breath because of this. And so it's all these rules that just get told. And then if you're able yeah. to answer this random question, then your parents will be restored. Like lots of different things have these rules and ideas ideas behind it that are spoken instead of shown, but the visuals are amazing. And mm -hmm. I, it is a very pretty movie. It's a beautiful movie. And one thing that they're able to accomplish that you don't really ever notice in animation very much is the concept of speed things mm -hmm. the, or movement just in general. So when, the dad is driving, as I alluded to earlier, really fast through the forest. It feels like they're going like 80 miles an hour. You feel like you're moving at that speed. 
when later when Chihiro is on Haku the dragon and they're zooming through different things, it feels like they're going 100 miles an hour. It feels fast. And yeah, weight, I was just thinking of that example. Yeah, and weight is also very real or struggle. You feel the weight of things. You feel things struggle because um, I think they have a very... Every, every image has a real-world example as to what it should be like. Um, mm -hmm. On the DVD, there's a really cool um, documentary that was done from a TV channel in Japan. Um, it's one of the most stressful films because it shows the making of, <laughs> and I want to get into this since we're talking about process, but... Um, He's, you see him in a room describing this moment when Haku the dragon is falling through this, um, the air ducts at the bathhouse and slams up against the wall. And he says he sticks to the wall like a gecko. He sticks on the wall. He doesn't hit the wall. He sticks to it like a gecko. And then he falls like a snake falling out of a tree where it's just all curled and stays in its form and just falls, hits the ground, and then loosens up after that. So he had a very specific real-world um, example. And I remember watching that scene saying, it just fell like a snake. Like, that's the, it's like, like a snake would fall where it's still coiled, but it falls and you feel its full weight thudding. And then um, to break a spell... Or to heal him, Chihiro puts something in his mouth and pries the dragon's mouth open. And they talked about how when you have to give the dog a dog a pill or force feed a dog and you grab a dog's mouth and force it and you see the dog's gums and everything and you're trying to get your hand in there and just describing that. And he had these really real world examples. What was really funny about it is all the animators were like, what? He's like, well, haven't you ever, who's, who's owned a dog? And they're like, uh, no, I've never owned a dog. He's like, you know, when you put it and you force feed the dog and everyone's like, no, he's like, and they, essentially Miyazaki's like, well, I guess we're doomed. Like they weren't getting any, when I was nodding along with everything that he was like saying, he's like, yeah, it's like this. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I get that idea. It's like, it's kind of like this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, we're they're force feeding. And all the animators are like, no. No, I don't understand. And, the and next, that's why Disney sends all their animators out into the real world to do research trips. And their next shot was them going to a vet clinic, prying open <laughs> the mouths of dogs. <laughs> so they could see it like, oh, that's what he was talking about. I would love to be the veterinarian on duty that day of like, why are all these animators just opening the mouths of these dogs? Yeah, that's what, what they're doing. Like, they're getting little cameras and going in really close to this. Like golden retriever, like forcing its mouth open, like, oh, okay, I see what he means. And like, that's exactly what it goes through. But it's this, it's this process of this is like this. And it's a very specific real world connection. And I think that's what grounds the animation. I think the story itself isn't as grounded as the animation itself. The story feels very loose, which comes from them not having it finished when they started working on it. 
it, it is interesting mixed of like a lot of kind of classic monomyth things like we brought up or well, I brought up a wizard of earth sea, um, which in certain circles is a classic story. Um, <laughs> but it's also been compared to, I think wizard of Oz a lot. Although now that house moving castle came out later, that's obviously a lot more wizard of Ozzy. Yes. Not it even Ozzy has a Osborne. scarecrow. Yeah. It even has a scarecrow. Um, and essentially a tin man. Um, and I, I actually also have a Miyazaki quote handy. Um, I created a heroine who is an ordinary girl, someone with whom the audience can sympathize. It's not a story in which the characters grow up, but a story in which they can draw on something already inside them, brought out by the particular circumstances. I want my young friends to live like that, and I think they too have such a wish. And that's very much like a monomyth theme of you start with like you're in one world and you have all these like little examples that the hero kind of ignores or little things, and then they go into this other world experience where all the little things you saw at the beginning of the story come back and they use that knowledge to solve things. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that's interesting. If you kind of look at the hero with a thousand faces journey, um, spirited away, I think is unique, not unique, interesting because it is, it follows the more Western for lack of a better word. I hate that word, but Western idea um, where the the hero goes into this other world and then chooses to leave that world. Whereas a lot of times um, in lots of different Japanese works, you'll see the hero go into this other world and then specifically choose to stay there. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason I think this is about growing up and accepting that responsibility and becoming more mature. It's choosing to leave the fantasy world. I guess that's, that's my contribution to this, this podcast. Well, I believe that she's staying, she chooses to stay in the new place where she's moved and be a part of that. Yeah. When she's, so, I mean, it's a mixture of both of those concepts where she is choosing to be a part of the world that she's being forced to be in, is, which is the That's new place point. that she's moving to. So she finally is, she's, the whole first part of the movie is her upset that she had to leave her friends and leave everything behind and now she doesn't want any part of this new world and she didn't even get a bouquet of flowers and you know all these things and you know she didn't get to experience that life but now she's taking ownership of that new place and that new life with her parents and they do have an interesting bit at the end where you expect like oh it was all a dream all along and they leave the park and the dad's surprised, like, oh, why are all these bushes on my car? And there's even dust on the inside. And, like, it clearly says to the audience, this is real and this happened. And we don't answer the question of, like, whether or not the movers got into their house over, like, the week they were gone or <laughs> whatever. Right. <laughs> Which I wonder is, like, because the whole first part, they're like, well, the movers are going to be there. We need to we need to get back in the car and go because the movers are coming. The movers are coming. Their, their yeah, stuff is probably left in the front yard and taken and to be fair, if they move for work, like for the dad's job or something, then he got fired because he missed his first week. Like, they're going back to where they came from. The girl got what she wanted. Well, I mean, let's be real. Maybe maybe they, the father was forward-thinking enough to move with enough time to get settled in before job orientation started. I think that that's probably... I mean, the mother seems pragmatic enough to help along with that decision-making. That could be. The mother does, I think she behaves a lot like Lynn, which is another interesting thing to me. Mm. That there's that parallel there. Yeah, she's a little detached 
more than like you'd expect a mother to be in an animated movie. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just the wind. Oh, Chihiro, come on. Oh, just sit down and eat. Right. You should really try this chicken. It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Chicken. So I think what is interesting, too, is just the general sense of otherworldness and creepiness that comes in in the film as the spirit world wakes up and as night falls in this strange city and then shadows start walking around. And I remember being really off put by the, that imagery and you start to see Chihiro get afraid of all these things that are going to attack and everything becomes a threat. Everything becomes a monster. You don't know who's good, who's bad because everything is fantastical. It's an amazing sequence. That's probably my favorite sequence in this movie is trying to flee the spirit world at the beginning. Right. Because there's a, there's a ticking clock. You have to get across the river um, and things are slowly lighting up as she's running past. And there comes a point in the sequence where the restaurants and spirits are appearing ahead of where she's running and you know she's not going to make it in time. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't realize that yet. <laughs> um, and you can tell this movie... Um, discovered computer-assisted animation for making things transparent, and they use transparency all over the place. And it's not a bad thing. It's really interesting, and it looks great, because the spirits are transparent. She goes transparent. There's a half-transparent reflection of Chihiro in the train window at one point. No face is transparent. They love transparency. And I think that's saying something, though, that, you know, I mean, it works with the theme of the movie, but it also looks neat. Um, Yeah. Again, I have to say, this the movie looks gorgeous, and the things that are weighted, one of the most amazing sequences of it in terms of storytelling is the idea of no face. Mm-hmm. And no face being this creepy masked spirit that... I don't know. I think most people would see it as somebody creepy and something to be afraid of. Like there's something off about this silent spirit um, with this mask, with this mouth that's just open that seems like it's sort of smiling, but not. Just seems really, really off. And her inviting him almost accidentally into the bathhouse and him just wanting to feel accepted by her, so trying to give her things and get her what she wants and get her what she needs and just wants her acceptance. Um, at one point, he starts generating gold, mm-hmm. and so he gets the love and adoration of other people and then starts eating people by tempting them closer to him And then suddenly being revealed to have this huge, horrible mouth and just grows larger and larger as he eats more people and beckons them in with this, the tempting him of gold and generating all this gold and becomes this awful monster that everyone is fawning over in the bathhouse. All the workers, everyone's trying to get money because he just keeps generating gold and throwing it to people. And he tries to get Chihiro who's now Sen, of course, but tries to get Chihiro to take a huge pile of gold that he's created, and she just doesn't want it. 
And he's just left there just confused and angry that she refused his gift. Mm-hmm. Just just completely offended and confused and goes on a rampage. And she f- feeds him the the same thing she force feeds to the dragon. And he starts falling apart and starts throwing, <laughs> you know, throwing up the people that he's eaten. And it's, I mean, it's a disgusting sequence, <laughs> but he starts chasing after her, shouting, what did you do to me? And he's mm-hmm. melting and his body's falling apart. And it's just an amazing sequence because you feel his weight hitting things and you feel the just like the stickiness and gooiness of him just slowly slithering and falling apart. And it's a, it's an amazingly remarkable sequence. What do you think no face is in this movie in terms of like from a storyteller standpoint, what is no face? No face doesn't want to be the antagonist because we're set up to think that Yubaba is the, the antagonist mm-hmm. that Yubaba is the one to be from the beginning is the one said, you have to be careful of Yubaba. You have to get a deal with Yubaba. And she's the one who takes Chihiro's name. Um, and she, in the end, she's the one who gives the family back and lets her leave. Mm-hmm. So she's both the wicked witch and the wizard. If we go back to an Oz thing, she's both yeah. the thing that helps her get home and the thing that's threatening her. Um, no face would seem to be somewhat of, if, if we go, if we go Wizard of Oz, let's go Wizard of Oz and say, okay. if, if we have, and I know this is a false connection, but let's just think of it this way for a moment. You have the Dorothy character, Chihiro. And she gains allies towards what she needs to develop in her own self. So Scarecrow, Tin, Tin Man, and Cowardly Lion. So we have Lin as an ally. We have Haku as an ally. And I think No Face in a weird way ends up being the third ally that she has, mm-hmm. which is in the beginning, the cowardly lion. I'm, yeah, I'm going to say no face is the cowardly lion, but the cowardly lion is the third one that they meet. And at first seems to be a threat. And then in the end, you see the, what is the word I'm looking for? Not, what is that word that I'm looking for? Redemption? Not redemption. Um, you see that he, not innocent, he's vulnerable. His vulnerability that's there. Because that's what you end up with no face in the end is you, set, you see his flawed vulnerability and how quiet he is after She's essentially removed the people and accepted him as an ally and goes on a train ride with him, you know, and they're, they're now joined in a different way. Once the threat of him has been completely expelled. 
Okay. It's just a long, it happens in a long sequence compared to the Wizard of Oz, if where I threaten Toto, she slaps him immediately. This is, it's an extended, long, longer, threatening nature of him. But I could see, I could see that. Um, especially with those three allies, I guess we're pursuing that threat. If the, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion have um, no courage, no brain, and no heart then we already have someone who has no face. Haku has no name. Lin has, I don't know, no no heart because she's so sassy. No heart, no self. Like she's just the person who's happy with where she is. She's okay with it. She doesn't aspire to be anything better. So she has no life. I don't know what she, you know, no work-life balance. Yeah, they're all missing something. So I think that in the end, no name ends up being the one. No face. I'm sorry. I keep saying no name. No face is the one that is most like her Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So that's where we get to see a little bit of her duality a little bit more through no face. Okay, I'll buy into it. You can buy, buy into it. it. You don't have to buy yeah. into it. I'm just saying. It's I mean, as I pronounced, s- I'm an active critic. We 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 spent so much time with No Face, which is why I've a I can't see No Face as an antagonist. So in, but he does cause a lot of trouble, but it's it's not the thing that she's up against. It's just something that's following her something that's with her throughout becomes a huge threat and then becomes something that she's accepting. Take that for what, what we will. Yeah. And maybe there's not clarity in the story itself as to how it, he operates, but. Yeah. I don't have a clear English major answer for you on this one. Yeah. I'm I'm struggling with it, but I think he it's not meant no face is not meant to be an antagonist. It's meant to fulfill a third slash fourth ally person if we go by everyone's also, an ally. The boiler worker. Not really. I mean and this the dust mites and the baby and the bird and Zenobi. Well then and she Baba. ends up with the baby and the bird. So we end up yeah, the baby and the bird and no face going to the witches, which is closer to the Oz narrative there. So she ends up with about six different allies as she goes I mean, goes I was through. actually, as as she collected the baby and the bird as a mouse uh, and a tinier bird, I thought in my head like, yep, young girl talking animal allies, she's a princess. <laughs> so there, I mean, there's a lot in this film as we're, as we're talking about, it's just big. And I know that one of the things, difficulties that Miyazaki had intended the movie to be, as we said, over three hours long with his original plot that he had, but started trimming down the storyline. And maybe some of those storylines are ones that are lost. And I know that maybe No Face wasn't, was as big as he was, and maybe it made more sense with a more complex story. Um, but everything just feels 
everyone feels important and I'm not sure who I should be following, you know? Yeah. It feels, it's very episodic. Mm -hmm. I would watch a remake of this as a, let me count one, two, three, as a 12 episode anime miniseries. I'd watch Mm. that. If you're going to make it four hours. Yeah. Can they get an episode for everything? Yeah. Twice as many things. (laughs) Um, I did want to say there was one other thing that I wanted to bring up with, with the storytelling in this. I can't remember what I was going to say. There was, oh, okay. It's, it's not necessarily, it's about process again. This is one of the rare films where, especially rare animated films where the director is the one who is drawing and mm-hmm. approving almost everything about this film. Um, as we show, saw in the documentary that's on the DVD, they follow him. And this is the first movie where he shared the burden of approving all the key animation with someone else. And they had hundreds of scenes to have the key animation done by a certain amount of time. And they started tripling their workload and they started going through. And it's just really stressful to hear them. And most Mm -hmm. days he didn't leave the studio until like midnight. And they show him one time leaving at 2.30 in the morning. Just stay there. And the man just looks exhausted and then the his assistants there, and he they said that the assistant stayed there till seven in the morning, and it's just like these people just working themselves to death, just trying to get this work done because the studio it seems really tiny, it seems like a small little office building, and just everyone's just working, and just to show how stressful this place is, there's a shot that the cameraman lingers on of Miyazaki at his desk, drawing cigarette, hanging out his mouth, you know, just like drawing, trying to get stuff done. He's like his own Miyazaki movie at this point. I love it. it. And then it pans down. He's in his chair and it pans down to the floor and under the leg of a chair is a drawing being smashed by the chair being smashed by the leg of his chair. And the cameraman just lingers on this drawing of some character's face being smashed by the leg of a chair. Um, and it's like, well, that's that's just something being said about this. It's just like, they're just so taken with what they're doing that sometimes a piece of paper gets lost. It's like maybe something that was, and the whole thought that I had was, is it something that he tried to throw in the trash can and it fell out of the trash can? Or is it something from his desk where he was in a hurry to do something and turned and it fell off of his desk and now an important part of the movie is being crushed under his chair? It's like, oh man. But the I camera... Think, but he the cares camera about perfection. Yeah. yeah. He just wants the perfection. He doesn't care about the real life. He just cares about getting the animation right at that moment. It doesn't care how his office looks so or where it, things are. It was just really interesting. I'm like, oh, that, that drawing's under that chair. And I think the camera person just like lingers there for a long time, just, and it almost zooms in. Like, look at that. Look, there's a drawing on the floor. Is that important? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it is. But 
Oh man. But it just feels like this is a, you feel the labor of it. I think in a lot of animated films, we, we feel the magic of it. Sometimes forget the labor of it. You know, when we go behind the scenes of a Disney film, they talk about it like it's some magic potion that they're creating. And you see people doing different things like, ah, oh, this is a magical process. And not, not that you, not that it's easy, but you, they kind of have a beautiful sheen on everything. This documentary is like, no, no, we're down here in, <laughs> in this little bit of squalor. We're eating dinner at 11 PM as a group. Cause everyone's still here working and we're making a whole bunch of ramen for everyone to eat because we're trying to get this work done. Hey, ramen served everybody. Miyazaki made everyone ramen. <laughs> you know? Ooh, I'm it, having too many work-life flashbacks. So it's just, that's, that's what it is. We're, we're all still here. It's 11 o'clock. We may as well eat some ramen so we could all get back to work. <laughs> so it's just really interesting. You feel the labor of it. And what's interesting about the film is you feel the life in it and you feel the magic of it. And if, if you watched it without any dialogue, I think it would still be a really powerful film. I mm -hmm. think the structure and the story of it isn't as strong as the animation and the images of it. Not saying it's not a beautiful film because my gosh, it is. It's just that sometimes it just lose, loses its structure yeah. under the weight of it. I would, Koyana Scott see this. I could just watch it with music and no dialogue. Okay. And even out of order. Just make it out of order. That's fine. <laughs> so Mackenzie, did you have a favorite thing from revisiting Spirited Away? I do. My favorite thing is a line at the beginning. Um, when Chihiro's father is wandering in the park and they see the food and they're like, oh, we're, we're hungry. How are we going to pay for this? And he goes, don't worry, you've got daddy here. He's got credit cards and cash. <laughs> That's a very interesting, just like capitalist statement to put at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> and what was um, your favorite thing? My favorite thing is still my favorite thing from the first time I watched it, which is the sequence with the stink monster. So, mm, and the bathing. Yeah. You have this monster, this, stink spirit that comes in and it looks like it's made out of mud and it's just crawling in and it slinks into this bathtub and just like sits there and you feel the weight and the stink of it. And then we he hits it with water and they realize that something's stuck in it and there it's like a bike handle and it takes all these workers to pull and essentially all this garbage comes out of this water river spirit and it's really just a polluted river spirit that had all this trash stuck in it, um, which, you know, is, is something that Miyazaki said was um, another thing that was created based on or inspired by something that he experienced. There was a bike that was stuck in a river and they pulled it out and they thought it was going to be easy because like, hey, look, there's the bike and the bike wheel will just yank it out. And it just everything. It just brought everything out of it, and it all <laughs> just stunk like terrible. 
And but then fish started coming back to the river and other things because it just been so polluted that oh we'll get this one thing and like no all this garbage is connected. <laughs> all this and, and that's just that's the moral of Spirited Away. All this garbage is connected. <laughs> and not garbage in a despairing way. Right. Not not by any means. Yeah. So should we talk uh homework time? Next time, we're going to look at another Academy Award winner from the year before this, Shrek. That's right. We're doing our first installment, question mark? Chris is giving me a bad look. Um, we're doing uh, the shrek retrospective about the movie Shrek. Yes. Take that as you will. Shrek. Yeah. So watch it. So watch Shrek. For next week. <laughs> It, you don't have to watch it for next time, but you could also watch Shrek, the Broadway musical version. No, you have to watch Shrek, the movie. I know, no, no, no. I know you watch the, watch the Shrek, the animated film. But if, if you want for extra credit, you could watch the Shrek, the, the musical, the Broadway musical, they recorded it and it's on Netflix. So you could watch that too for bonus points from us, I guess. Me. I don't know. Yeah, just you. <laughs> I don't musical. You won't get any bonus points from me. All right. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Cotino. Um, thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. And you can find us on the web on Twitter at WG Animated on the Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated and show notes and links to lots of articles at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe through iTunes to make sure that you keep getting the most recent episodes of the show. Hey, go back and listen to our old episodes. It's really important. I'm being Chihiro yelling like she oh, does a lot. She does yell a lot, but so did yeah. Lilo. But I think she yelled a lot more than Lilo. Yeah, she yelled a lot. There was a lot of yelling. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.